batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Ready to move off. Always thought I'd like to say something. There's no reason why you shouldn't have complete confidence in your chances to come out of this thing alive in one piece. From coast to coast, from border to border, from one end to the other, and all points in between. The Classic Guitar Rock Podcast is on. Yes! That's awesome! We crank up and break down the great guitar-driven rock of the 70s and 80s, and you are invited to come along. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes, it's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it! And now your hosts, Jeremy and Jeff. One half teaspoon for fast, effective relief. It's time for the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Okay, welcome to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast, and I think we're up to episode 15. Is this 15? 15. This is 15. Episode 15. Jeremy and Jeff. Jeff, I I have a new name for you. It's Boulder Jeff. Boulder Jeff. Boulder Jeff. Yeah, kind of like Boulder Dash, you know, (laughs) Boulder Jeff. Okay, so Jeremy and, and Boulder Jeff, and we are excited about this episode. There are albums, we're going to talk about Led Zeppelin too. There are albums, I would say Led Zeppelin 2, I would say Dark Side of the Moon. There are these huge albums that are almost like holy ground to a lot of people, right? So when you have an album like this, at least I do, I feel a sense of responsibility to write, <laughs> to, to treat it accordingly. But at the same time, you know, we got to be honest. If there's things we don't like about these, uh, w- we need to talk about those. But I'm super excited about the album today. I hadn't really, you know, dove in and, and listened to these tracks in a long time. Because, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you know, we'll get into it. But like I said, I think you take it for granted. Totally. So good. So uh, groundbreaking at the time. And that or, uh, thing. there were other things groundbreaking, but this was one of them. Groundbreaking in that... I kind of said this earlier off mic, by the time we were listening to this music, you know, I'm assuming we were at least, you know, in our early teens, probably. So by the time we were listening to this music, it had already been around for 10 or 12 years, right? And what we forget is contextually, this, this was brand new in 1969. And I, and I like to put myself in the place of a, a listener In 1969, when they hear this for the first time, and I think it really is groundbreaking. I think it really is groundbreaking. And they were doing things that hadn't been done before. And I I see sometimes people think that Led Zeppelin is overrated or these sorts. I don't think they are. I don't think they are overrated. I don't think so. And that doesn't mean there aren't some tracks that aren't necessarily your favorite. And, And I was even listening... This morning, as I'm running errands, I was listening to Celebration Day, the live concert back from, when was it, 2012 or whatever, 2008, for Amit Erdogan, when they Mm. got back together and did the one concert. And a couple things jumped out. Obviously, they'd lowered the songs. They'd changed keys on all the songs so Robert could sing them better. Because let's face it, when you're 65 or 70, you don't have the same voice you had when you were 25. But even with them lowering, even with, with Robert Plant scaling it back a little bit, it still sounds really good. And he is a, he is a consummate lead singer. I think he more than anyone, well, Bonham too, 
became kind of the archetype for heavy metal. People talk about Led Zeppelin being the beginning of heavy metal. And I, I see why they say that, but I don't really hear that in Jimmy's guitar as much as I hear, hear it in Robert Plant's vocals and Bonham's drumming. I think those are the two elements more than anything that, that were kind of co-opted for heavy metal. But we'll, we'll get into that. We'll get into yeah. that. Yeah, I, I don't, someone said heavy metal band. I, I'm, not, I'm not immediately thinking Zeppelin. Me neither, yeah. Not that doesn't mean they're not heavy at times. But there are definitely elements. What classic metal singer has not tried to sound like Robert Plant at some point, right? <laughs> and, and there have been <laughs> several clone bands, Greta Van Fleet, currently, back in the 80s, Kingdom Come. Oh, yeah. Uh, White Snake. You know, people accuse Coverdale of just ripping off Plant, whether you agree with that uh, observation or not. But, but let's, let's wait a minute because... Jeff, when you came on, you were very excited about a new piece of equipment you acquired. Yeah. So this is a yeah. this is basically a free plug we're going to give someone here. So give us the story on this uh, piece of equipment you acquired. You know, and it was free, which is which is you know amazing. Nice. Uh, it, People are getting it, excited. Jeff got free <laughs> equipment. I can't wait. Yeah, I love those guys that that get 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 guitars and. Yeah, you know, yeah. Universal Audio ox boxes sent to them for free to try, try them out, and plug them. You're saying that's not what you got? <laughs> it's not no. a guitar. Okay. Uh, why I'm kind of excited is because I I'm looking actually at my desk right here. I've got probably five or six different kinds of guitar picks. Okay. Because I kind of I change and I switch guitars and different picks actually go better with you know that guitar or that guitar. I bought the JHS Bonsai pedal. Okay. JHS, great company. Josh making pedals. The Bonsai is a tube screamer. There's nine different kinds of tube screamer pedals in this thing. Right. In the box is this free pick. <laughs> I said, oh, whatever. I buy a lot of pedals and they come with picks. Right. But this one, I don't know. I thought it looks kind of cool. And it's got JHS on it from a company called Gravity. Gravity. And so those of you watching on YouTube can see the actual video. Yeah. It's a cool looking pick. I it's a cool that. looking pick. It's kind of translucent. It's thick. I, th I think it's a 1.5 millimeter, but I, I went to their website and they make thicker ones. Wow. Like people doing like, what is it called? Gent? Yeah. Genting? Yeah. Yeah. And it's big for me as well. And I just thought I'm going to just pick it up and start strumming and immediately i don't know it's it just fits great it doesn't slip and it's got this unpolished edge you can buy the polished edge as well i, I found out but this one's unpolished so it's like a little rough mm -hmm. but when you dig into the string you could just dig in it kind of grips it kind of the articulation is like boom right there so i was impressed i went to their website and i, I bought some he's a fan he's a fan i'm a fan this, we are not endorsers. We are not paid spokespeople. No, no. This is a legit testimonial from an actual user. Yeah. And then you think, oh, picks, eh, whatever. Yeah. They don't make a difference. They may make a little difference. But this one, I thought it did. So I bought some and uh, I can't tell exactly what this was made out of. Mm -hmm. I think it's acrylic because the other ones on the website are acrylic. But on their site, it just mentions, oh, this is Josh's company, and this is a great pick, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't right. tell you what's actually, but I think it's a acrylic. 
Anyway, awesome. check it out. And gravitypicks.com. Gravitypicks.com. And I was not just sponsored, but you know, yeah, we're not, we're not, they're not a sponsor yet. Maybe, maybe I don't know, Jeff. What do you think? We'll give them a call. We'll I'd see. love to try out all their picks and then talk about them. JHS pedals, by the way. I don't own a JHS pedal, but I am a huge fan of his YouTube channel. And Josh has some excellent videos. If you're a guitar nerd like Jeff and I, you can waste hours watching his videos, histories of different guitar pedals and amplifiers. And what I like is he makes pedals and he's selling pedals, but he talks about other companies' pedals and he it's a, it's a really cool channel. So if you haven't checked out the JHS pedals page on YouTube, you definitely want to do that. So I like when he, uh, when he demos pedals, his or, or other people's often him and his band will play and they're pretty good. They write some fun, fun stuff. I just realized, Jeff, on the last, not last episode, the one before last, I downloaded a YouTube audio track from JHS Pedals. So they've uploaded some of their little tunes to YouTube. So YouTube producers can use, you know, copyright free music. He's got a couple up there. And one of the bumpers I used week before last was from JHS. I just remember that. Speaking of bumpers... This is a tease for toward the end of the show. Toward the end of the show, we're going to hear a bumper that Jeff produced. So I'm looking forward to that. Whoop, whoop. Jeff is going to be, Boulder Jeff will be our new bumper producer. It's really, it's, it's really cool. So I'm looking forward to that. We'll let you know when, when we play it. Uh, but that's really cool. One other thing before we come back and talk about Led Zeppelin 2. We have a new sponsor. And I, I made the invitation on the last episode that if you are interested in sponsoring the great thing about sponsoring a webcast by the way let me put on my marketing nerd hat the cool things about podcasts are they are very niche oriented like for instance as you can imagine a podcast like this our core demographic are males like 45 to 60 years old. Now, if you don't fall into that demo, that's great. We'd love to have you here. But but the majority of our listeners fall into that category. So if you are an advertiser and a marketer and are trying to reach 45 to 60-year-old males, a podcast like this is a perfect venue to do that. And in terms of advertising, there's two things. There's reach and there's frequency, Right. Reach is the total number of people, or QM is sometimes what they call it, that you reach. And frequency, how often can they hear your message? Well, the nice thing about a podcast is even if the reach isn't that great, yet the frequency is there. And podcasts are what you call evergreen, right? So an episode that we post tonight, right, after, after we record this and we post this episode, episode tonight or tomorrow, it will be here forever, so if a commercial is put into an episode, that commercial will continue to be heard forever, right? And if you buy in, if you invest in advertising on a podcast at the beginning, like we are, imagine five years from now, Jeff, when we've knocked Joe Rogan out of the top spot. <laughs> Coming for you, Joe. These commercials that you paid dirt, that you paid hardly <laughs> anything for, are still being listened to by millions of people. So it's actually a really good investment to advertise on a podcast for, for several reasons. But yeah. anyways. The, the uranium of the, the web. The uranium of the web. <laughs> or whatever. <Exactly. laughs> 
So I, I bring that all up because number one, it's another invitation. If you'd like to advertise with us, email us classic guitar We can get you all the information, but I am pleased to announce we have a sponsor. We have a sponsor for our show. Hey, Hey. So we want to welcome as our first official sponsor, Braun and Jarvis family dentistry right here in my hometown of Spokane, Washington. So we'll hear a commercial from them. And then when we come back, Jeff, we're going to jump into this conversation about Led Zeppelin II. Attention. If you live in Spokane, Washington and have teeth, this message is for you. Braun and Jarvis Family Dentistry knows teeth. Incisors, bicuspids, canines, molars. No tooth is too big or too small. I was delighted and impressed. So impressed, I bought the company. With Braun and Jarvis, you'll have the sweetest grill in the inland northwest. And let's be honest, nobody wants a funky grill. Braun and Jarvis Family Dentistry. 509-464-2391. That's 509-464-2391. Braun and Jarvis Family Dentistry. Quality dentistry that doesn't suck. <laughs> All right. Awesome. So there's our, our official I want to go. I want to go too, man. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we want to thank uh, Braun and Jarvis Family Dentistry in uh, Spokane. Washington for being our first sponsor and a little backstory there. So Brad, uh, Brad Jarvis, Dr. Jarvis, he's a friend of mine. He's a drummer. So we play in a band together. Oh, and he, he reached out. I was joking. Actually, I, I was saying, Hey, you should, you should be a sponsor joking, completely joking. And he said, no, I'd be a sponsor. And I said, well, really, Brad, our listeners aren't really so much here in Spokane. They're kind of spread out all over. So it probably wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. He said, no, I want to do it. I want to do it. And and he wanted a monster truck style commercial. So that's what he got. <laughs> that was your voice, obviously, right? Well, yeah, that was, yeah, that was me. And you did the, like a radio, like the, you know, you filtered your voice, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, com- that, it's kind of toward the end. And oh yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's some, some special sauce there, but that's, that's the fun, you know, doing a tractor pull and we don't have to do tractor pull commercials, Jeff. If someone wanted to be a sponsor and didn't want a tractor pull or monster truck style commercial. They don't, they don't have to have ones. <laughs> Although, you know, they yeah. might now. They might now. It's, it's, it's fun. It gets your attention, right? So anyways, hey. hey, speaking of Spokane, that's where I live. There's a connection between Spokane and Led Zeppelin. And I wasn't aware of this till I did some, some homework. The very first live recording of Led Zeppelin happened December 30th, 1968 at Gonzaga University right here in Spokane, Washington. Is that right? The very first live recording of Led Zeppelin happened here in my hometown, which is kind of cool. And there's a, you can, you can Google various names. There's uh, uh, sometimes it's called the Gonzaga bootleg. You know, if you, if you Google Led Zeppelin Gonzaga bootleg, you can find it. I've heard it. It's a bootleg. So it's not, it's not the best quality, but it sounds, you can tell the band was good back then. I think this was, this was their fourth live show in the U S I think on their first U S tour, but this was the first live recording that was made of Led Zeppelin. 
So, and that was in, in, in the U S or ever, ever, as far as my understanding is, this is the first live recording of Led Zeppelin. Cool. I'm going to check it out. Kind of cool. Yeah. So that happened right here, just down the road. I actually worked at Gonzaga about 15 years ago. So that's just a cool little piece of, of local history. What is Gonzaga again? Gonzaga is a, is a Jesuit university here in Spokane. And if you're a basketball fan, Gonzaga is currently the number one ranked NCAA basketball team. And what's amazing about that is Gonzaga has about 5,500 students and they compete against the Dukes and the North Carolinas and the Kansas. They made it to the finals like three years ago. They didn't win, but they were second in the U S they they're typically ranked you know, every year in the top 25, they're, they just have a really good basketball program and they're a tiny little school, which is amazing. And apparently the first place where Led Zeppelin was ever recorded live way back in 1968. So kind of cool. Awesome. It's wonderful. Led Zeppelin too. Let's talk about Led Zeppelin. Um, I mean, I think they're icons, you know, they're one of those bands that, I think for the most part, everyone understands the importance of the band. Uh, They understand how influential the band has been. So it, it, it really can't be understated. Led Zeppelin two came out. Do you have the date in front of you? I think it was October 22nd of 1969. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm seeing. And I, it was January of 69 Zeppelin one came out, right? Whatever I think they called you're, it. I think you're right. Or so in the same year. And that's the thing is January of 71. Okay. Led Zeppelin four came out. So they're putting albums out like two a year, which was kind of the norm back then. I know Led Zeppelin one, I think it took recording and mixing was nine days total. Okay. <laughs> now the amazing thing about Led Zeppelin two, which a lot of folks consider this, when, when you make lists of Led Zeppelin's best albums, this one is often at the top. Physical Graffiti is often at the top. Led Zeppelin 4 is, you know, it's one of those three albums usually. But what's amazing about this album is this was recorded during their tour. Yeah. And so if you look at the notes, I mean, they use like six different studios. It would be, they would be in LA. Okay, let's go in for four hours and record a song. Ardent Studios, we talked about Ardent Studios last week with ZZ Top. They recorded some of it in Ardent Studios. And Plant didn't apparently, wasn't a fan of that. No, he did not like that. And I wouldn't have liked that either. Oh, yeah, that would be, that would be crazy. And this is uh, Eddie Kramer. This is when they started working with Eddie Kramer. So Eddie Kramer was their engineer and producers, Jimmy Page. So Jimmy Page is the, is the producer. But yeah, it's it's very fascinating that this was recorded the way it was. And yet it's a really, it's an awesome album. Jeff, this was again, was Jeff's recommendation. And like Jeff, you know, I've heard the album. I own the album. I have, have it on vinyl here. In fact, I meant to have it here in front of us. I'll go grab it here in a sec. But it's been a long time since I've listened to it front to back and really paid attention to it. I've been listening to it in my car a lot where I can play it really loud. Mm-hmm. There's not a bad track on it. I am impressed by every single person. I mean, you can listen and go, man, Bonham is an animal on this. Jimmy Page is awesome on this. John And John Paul Jones, 
Okay. He's kind of the guy that gets the least press in Zeppelin, but he's like their utility man. I mean, he does, first of all, his bass playing on a couple tracks on this album are just off the charts. Oh, it's ridiculous. Just crazy. And then, you know, he's playing keyboards. He's an arranger. Before he was in Led Zeppelin, he was arranging some week, 40 or 50 sessions a week. He's arranging. Page and Jones were session musicians. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in the 80s, it was Steve Lukather, right? Well, in the 60s in England, it was Page and John Bonham or Page and uh, John Paul Jones that played on so much stuff. I mean, Herman's Hermits and Petula Clark and Shirley Bassey. Page and Jones both played on Goldfinger. I did not know that. But I mean, these guys were playing on on all kinds of just pop schlocky stuff. They were playing with The Who. They were playing with the Rolling Stones. Uh, Donovan. Donovan, Sunshine Superman. And you made the point earlier that that's basically Led Zeppelin without Robert Plant. <laughs> and yes. music-wise, music it totally sounds like Led Zeppelin, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. When you go back and listen to it, it's like totally. you, you, rec- you recognize it, you know? But these guys were, Paige and Jones were very established in the studio scene. And then Plant and Bonham were in Band of Joy in a different band. And the early history of the band was Paige was trying to put together a band with John Entwistle and Keith Moon, right? Who were both in the who. And he was looking at a couple different singers. One was a guy named Terry Reed and another was Steve Marriott, which we talked about a few weeks ago. And we talked about how Steve Marriott was such an influence to Robert Plant. Well, the story goes that when they were talking about the lineup, I think they credit it to Keith Moon who said that, Oh, this, this will go over like a lead balloon. You know, when they're talking about this lineup of all these people, meaning that here we got all these people with egos, you know, this is going to go over like a, I heard that too. Yeah. And that, that kind of stuck. And for a while they talked about lead balloon and, and I think it was Peter Grant who suggested don't spell it lead L E A D because people might think it's lead balloon you know, if they weren't mm-hmm. familiar with that. So he, they spelled it L-E-D. And for a minute, for a while, it was lead balloon. But then someone changed it to Zeppelin, which sounds way better, right? So then it was lead Zeppelin. And of course, you know, the rest is kind of history. It never happened with Entwistle. It never happened with Keith Moon. Though Keith Moon and Jimmy Page, and I think John Paul Jones, played on Beck's Bolero with Jeff Beck, which... Go listen to, to Beck's Bolero. That's a really cool song. And that's that's Jimmy Page. That's John Paul Jones. That's Keith Moon. And, of course, Jeff Beck. One of the early guitar instrument, heavy guitar instrumentals, right? Uh, but it's really cool. Now, when Led Zeppelin first started performing, okay, remember Page had been in the Yardbirds. The Yardbirds were kind of breaking up but they had some dates in the Netherlands that they had to fulfill. And so the Yardbird said, Hey, if, if you want to tour with your new band to take care of these dates in Holland and wherever it was, you can do that. 
And and so they started as the new Yardbirds mm-hmm. and they toured as the new Yardbirds. But then at some point, Chris Dreja, who was in the Yardbirds, who I guess owned the name, he said, well, no, you, could, you, you can't keep the new Yardbirds. We were going to let you do that one tour as the new Yardbirds, but you can't keep. And so that's when they started using the Led Zeppelin moniker. Cooler name. Cooler name, much cooler name. And it kind of, they would have been, having the Yardbirds were a great band. Don't get me wrong, but, but I think it would have been a mistake to, to call themselves the new Yardbirds. They needed a new identity. Right. And so they got that. The first album came out and we're not really talking about the first album, but you know, that was a, a pretty successful album. It kind of put them on the map, but in my mind, this album's a lot better. I I think so. I mean, of course it's subjective, Mm -hmm. but certainly the production of it is really amazing and interesting for the time. And, you know, I, I always like to play music that I really respect mm-hmm. production-wise on my phone, <clears throat> then the car, then back to my, my studio where I have, you know, nice monitors. Mm-hmm. And like this 1969, you play it on this little dinky device. It sounds fantastic. Yeah. Even, even John Paul's, even the bass being distorted and, and so heavy, you could, it just comes through. It's it's quite amazing. We've been kind of going track by track as we go through these albums, but I, I told Jeff I want to do things a little different. I want to kind of talk about kind of our highs, rank the album or the songs on the album kind of in order of, of our favorite. And as we do that, I think we'll be we'll pull out some interesting things about about each song. But as I mentioned, there's not a weak song on it. You know, I think all the songs are solid. Some I like more than others. And Having said that, as you listen to this album, you kind of understand the reaction that like the punk movement movement had toward a lot of these rock bands, these classic rock bands. Punk in the mid 70s, when that came out, it was kind of reaction to these overproduced, indulgent rock albums. And so, for instance, I mean, I'll give you two examples on this album that I would say, yeah, this is overindulgent, right? We've got that breakdown in the middle of whole lot of love for like three minutes. <laughs> it's just bongos and it's weird stereo panning stuff. And it's, ah, 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 you know, all that part. Okay. A theremin. Exactly. That's a little uh, uh, indulgent. Right. And then we've got a drum solo on a studio album. I was trying to think of other studio albums with drum solos. Are there others? There's got to be some others, but I can't think of any. You know? Certainly not as iconic as this. No. And it's like. With a name, you know. It was a Willie Dixon song, right? Uh, Moby Dick. Wasn't it? I don't know. It could be. I don't know. I mean, I think Willie Dixon wrote every other song. Oh, I'm sorry. That's, that's, bringing, on, that's bringing on home. Let's bring it on home. Yeah. And we'll get, we'll get into that whole thing, yeah. too, because that's one of the parts of zeppelin's past is they had a habit of um stealing stealing (laughs) well i didn't want to say stealing but yeah i mean basically basically you know they would they would play these songs and not necessarily give credit and so one of the things we find out is they did pay a settlement to willie dixon Mm -hmm. sometime after this and and i'm not trying to defend that but but in their defense as i say i'm not trying to defend it you know i think in my mind, this is how I envision it, it going down, right? Is, is they had a cool jam, right? They had a, cause musically, these are 
not much in common with the Willie Dixon song, right? Right. That's what I was going to say. So they would write as this just jam and Plant says, well, I got to sing something, you know, so he just, you know, and you've got some songs. It's it's a verse from this Willie Dixon song combined with a verse from this, this uh, Howlin' Wolf song or whatever. He was just putting stuff together and probably wasn't even thinking about it. Right. I'm sure he was also trying to develop his his voice for sure so you've got to have some lyrics to, to expand and to do something and to just practice exactly and you know his screams and howls right but you know when it hits an album it's like it's not too hard to say all oh, these lyrics were inspired or came from or were written by but they didn't do that because probably back then like you've mentioned many times it's just it wasn't common and it didn't seem like a big thing, but obviously, you know, it yeah. is. And and I so. think, I don't think they set out to intentionally steal. I think they just, that's the way they did it. It's a little more free and loose. And after the fact, they've gone back and they have made some, some restitution to a remuneration to some of these blues artists. And, and Led Zeppelin definitely wasn't the only band doing that, but they're just kind of known as one of the more, flagrant <laughs> but uh anyways i wanted to say this album by the way i learned it it knocked the uh abbey road off the off the number one which i thought was quite amazing twice apparently from the top spot yes and and another thing that i saw and this has happened throughout the, a, a couple times when they'd have a huge album for instance uh led zeppelin four this was the case and i believe physical graffiti and maybe even in through the outdoor but when they'd release a new album very often all of the other albums in their category in their catalog would pop back up into like the top 10 Hmm. right and that happened several times and and here's the interesting thing zeppelin was not a singles band right so they were not getting played on top 40 radio and yet they still racked up tremendous album sales there were some singles released against the bands the band didn't want singles released they thought these albums are written uh, with the uh, with the thought that people will listen front to back it's a whole package we want you to hear the whole thing and yet whole lot of love was released as a single and did really well in the u.s another thing that was interesting about led zeppelin is they were more popular in the u.s than in england And part of that had to do, and this was a common thing. The Beatles did it. Pink Floyd did it. Led Zeppelin did it. The Rolling Stones did it. The tax burden was so astronomical for musicians, for rich musicians in England, that they wouldn't tour there. Because any money they made in England, they had to pay huge taxes on. Hmm. And so that's why you'd see them moving to France, moving to the US or whatever. So they didn't have to pay so high taxes. And and that didn't make some of these bands that popular at home <laughs> because, because people would say, well, you guys are just, I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, that was a big deal. And so a lot of times they would move to record somewhere else. They wouldn't want to tour there because any money they made there, they had to pay really high taxes on. And I don't know if that's still the case, but that was the case definitely in the seventies. And so that's why so many of these bands, black Sabbath, right. They basically moved their operation out of England because the taxes were so high. And that was a pretty common thing. 
Do you want to go down the list? Let's do it. Let's. I'm trying to get. I got to get my list up here so I have see all the songs in front of me. This was really challenging. Uh, in the middle, in the middle, there's nine songs on the on the album, and so like you know, three to seven, I was kind of flipping around my my choices. You know, right? It was, it was, it was tough. Okay, so let me hear in order. Okay, how you have it? I've got a whole lot of love. Number one. Okay. As obvious, possibly. But my, I, I mentioned this off mic, you know, go back <clears throat> listening to this with headphones. Last night I was actually cranking it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's just, it's awesome. There is like so it's the way God. to do it, you know? Okay. Yeah. Number two, Ramble On. Number three, Heartbreaker. Okay. Number four, What Is and Should Never Be. Number five, The Lemon Song. Number six, Thank You. Number seven, Bring It On Home. Number eight, Living Loving Maid. Number nine, Moby Dick. Now, Moby Dick is an amazing bottom, obviously, we all know. But as a song, you know, that's why I have it right, exactly. on the bottom. Right. And Living Loving Maid is sort of, you could I mean, almost hear that it wasn't taken so serious or something. Right. And then, of course, you read about it and it's supposed to be about a groupie and no one really loved the song. And right. And now, why. is that the one that, Led Zeppelin never played live. Am I, is that, yes, they never played it live. Plant has played it live after the fact solo stuff, but they never played that song live, which surprised me, which surprised me. And yet that's the one (laughs) that uh, heartbreaker goes right into. Exactly. When you hear it on the radio and they're doing two for Tuesday, right? Like we mentioned last week. Yeah. They got the song, you know, and I'm sure they hear that and they're like, ah, for sure. So right. interesting. Let me let me give you my list here. We're, it's actually more different than I thought it would be, to be honest. My favorite song on this album, and part of it is nostalgia. I mm-hmm. had a I had a mixtape that I stole from. I didn't stole steal, but a mixtape that my brother's friend made, and somehow we wound up with this on cassette. You know, it was a high quality Maxell cassette that a friend of my brother had made, and this was the first time I'd heard ramble on. And so I listened to that as part of this other mixtape that had songs by heart and Aerosmith and all kinds of stuff, but ramble on I've always loved. And that's, that's my favorite song on the album. And, and I think Led Zeppelin kind of gets pigeonholed into this heavy rock band, but, and, and I've heard plant even say this. And, and I think Paige has even said it is they thought of themselves more of a folk band than a heavy metal band. The point being that they just played all kinds. I mean, Led Zeppelin three is a pretty acoustic-y, folky album. But the, yeah. the thing I like about Ramble On is you kind of got all the elements of Led Zeppelin in one song. You know, you got the you got the guitar, the acoustic guitar, and the little I don't know, it sounds like he's just tapping on top of the table or something, the little mm-hmm. until the the heavy part kicks in. But it's just a great song. The lyrics are kind of cheesy. You know, he talks about Gollum and the the, the <laughs> darkest depths of Mordor. And I mean, that's nerdy. And I was listening to Led Zeppelin four last night. And like, is it the battle of Evermore? One of the, one of those songs are talking about ring wraiths and, and all kinds of these allusions to Tolkien and, and uh, they were nerds. Right. Yeah. And, and that's okay. But I just love that song. My second favorite is actually Thank You. Wow. Yeah. Did you have a girlfriend at the time? 
No, I don't know. I just have always <laughs> kind of liked that song. It is a great song. Don't yeah. Get me wrong. And again, I like the, uh, the acoustic guitar on that. The there's organ. there's a, the organ. And then there's the one chorus where it talks about the, the rain falling or the birds chirping or something that sounds totally 1968. It has a, that more than any other song on the album sounds like the sixties, you know, sounds like a age of Aquarius song. Right. Uh, but, but I love that song, but now what I did and I kind of cheated, I have heartbreaker and live in love and made as one song. So I counted those as one song. Cause I, like you said, I can't separate them. That's my number, number three, but I do have to say this. Heartbreaker, I love. That's the that's one of the first songs I sat down as a you know fourteen year old, fifteen year old, and tried to learn the you know. But you know where there's the breakdown and it's just Jimmy playing his guitar. Some of that is really sloppy and messy sounding. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was part of his thing. And and really, I, I, guess, I, mean, I don't know if he intentionally didn't want to, but it just felt like. He was just going for it, and it, going he was it just and, and, and bluesy, starts, rocky, hard. It just starts go. out good, and then it gets to that. There's a flourish in the middle that's just a sloppy, messy. And part of me is like, well, why, why didn't you fix that? But I think you're right. I mean, I think that's that's the way it happened, and and he just left it in. But but overall, I love the song. I love it going into Live and Love and Made. And I think you're right. I think Live and Love and I don't want to say it's a throwaway, but yeah, they definitely did not take it as serious, you know, as some of the other songs. Okay, number of, you're on four now? I have, yeah, and I have no. a whole lot of love for number four. I guess you're, it's really five. It's, yeah, because I, I combined those together, so that kind of messed it up. But anyways, whole lot of love. Great song, obviously. Now in this song, you know, the the lead guitar stuff, you know, it's that same kind of gritty, raunchy tone, but it just sounds like he's a much more articulate in this song than in that little solo section in, in Heartbreaker. And there's cool things, right? There's the there's the long, drawn-out thing in the middle, which I think on the single version, they condense that way down. Which I love. I know you said it's a little, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. over the top, and it is. And but so, I and I, I'm not saying I don't like it. I'm I'm saying why I see the criticism of this mm. stuff being indulgent because I could see some people saying, "Why? Why did you do that?" And the answer is, they did it because they could. You know, why? Why did they put a drum solo on a studio album? Because they could, and that was part. Oh, this is interesting. That was part of their contract when they were signed that they had complete artistic control. Yes. I read that. So so when I say they did that because they could, they, they really could. And I mean, uh, are we, do you want to talk about, are we going to dive into every song as we go or should I wait? Yeah. yeah, I can can have been the one thing I wanted to say about whole lot of love and I'm sure you'll have a more in-depth technical analysis than me, but the part where it breaks down way down inside woman and you hear i don't want to it's not a reverse echo because it's not a reverse echo but you hear very quietly in the background and i'm sure they came in after the fact and inserted the little i can't call it an echo because it's coming before he sings each line right yeah i think it was on a second separate track yeah and they just and they couldn't somehow it was it went through the console and they couldn't get rid of it so they just left it but it was an accident and it It wasn't intentional It sounds, sounds great. Cool. And how many times have other bands copied that and tried to get that same feel? 
yeah. that was, and I didn't know that Jeff, I didn't know that that was an, an accident. I think, mm-hmm. it's cool. I think it's cool. I love that. <clears throat> I love the, um, um, I mean the opening riff that probably most people play in, yeah. incorrectly. Right. And then I'm sure I played incorrectly. There's this one little trick that he shows. I think he shows on that documentary. The, it so, might get loud. It, it might, might get loud. loud. Uh-huh. So he's actually, he's, he's playing like an octave with the, with the D note and he's bending up the D on the A string just a little bit. And so it oh. clashes with the open just D. Just a little burner. So it's okay. bang out that part. And you can hear it. If you go back okay. and listen, it's not just a clean D. And most guys just play it clean. Yeah, they'll just. Yeah. And then there's that reverb that's, I know you love, pan far right. Yeah. I, and it's almost out of time. It doesn't even really work. And in headphones, it's yeah. distracting uh-huh. until it finally comes in and kind of resolves itself. And I, I don't want you to think I'm anti-stereo. The thing that <laughs> I'm an anti-stereo. <laughs> You're just a mono guy, dude. I'm a mono guy. <laughs> no, I love stereo. My only my beef was when the when drums would be panned hard to one side and, and right, right. I didn't like that, but I love, and, and this is what page and, and here's the thing about page. He's a genius. I would put him up there as a master, but not necessarily because of his guitar playing. If that makes sense. I mean, he wrote some of the best riffs ever, but to me, what makes him so brilliant is this song is a perfect example. Just where did he come up with the idea of doing that? Yeah. You know, like you said, this crazy reverb stuff and, and you hear all kinds of different guitar tones. And, and some of them, if you were to isolate the guitar tone just on its own, it's not that great a sound, but it works perfectly for the song. You know, it's maybe complementing another guitar sound that's over here. You got something that's really tinny and thin sounding over here. Now, is this a Telecaster on this album? Was he playing the Telecaster or is this a Les Paul? I think this is mostly Telecaster on here, but I don't know for sure. I don't know. I know the early videos you see of a lot of the early Led Zeppelin stuff. It's, it's Telecasters that he's yeah. playing. And it kind of has that feel for some really tinny stuff. So what's going on in that middle section, Jeff, in a whole lot of love, there's so much going on. And I know, Eddie Kramer, and he says that he and Jimmy were just twisting knobs and doing all kinds of stuff. Twisting every knob they exactly. could get their and there's fingers on. Robert Plant's, ah, 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 it's panning back and forth, and you've got all these, I don't know, are there pick scrapes? It, to me, it sounds like- I thought I thought it was a pick thing with a the guitar, but it's a, it's a theremin, or at least some of it is a theremin. What's that? Tell us what a theremin is. It's uh, it's an electronic instrument, and basically you 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 control it with your your hands. Okay. You go back and forth. Oh, oh that's with, right. Um, with this, um, and you don't touch it. It's just you don't it, touch it. Yeah. Closer. Okay, that's right. <clears throat> it has like antennas. It's got like okay. metal antennas. And that's probably that weird, you know, yeah, yep. stuff. Okay. Yeah, I've I've used one before a little bit. Wow, it's awesome. It's really cool. And then, of course, you add all that delay and all the panning. and It's a festival in your headphones. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and talk about daring, right? Oh, yeah. They're like, well, we're going to just do this. We're going to do that. And Why not? You got him moaning and screaming. It's just, it's crazy. But it's a great, I mean, it's a great song. So then I have next, I have what is and what will never be or what should never be. 
What, mm-hmm. What's it called? What is and what yep. should never be. Okay. Again, I was saying this earlier. Led Zeppelin is kind of like Pink Floyd in that oftentimes the names of their songs, like Thank You is a perfect example. You know, I've heard that song for years. And as I was starting to listen again, I could not tell you, thank you. What the, what the heck song is that? I don't remember that song. Then when I play it, I go, oh, yeah, it's that song. I yeah. never knew it was called Thank You. But <laughs> anyways. It, uh, this song mostly is, written by Plant. Yeah. Yep. He did write that. So that's not plagiarized right (laughs) (laughs) it's got a cool flanger on his voice it's got the cool flanger and i Mm -hmm. love okay the bass i mean this bass is just it's crap the bass is awesome and i love the changes right i love that you know it kind of sounds like it's building up and then it gets to a solo and it's that jazzy I just love that. It's awesome. Yeah, it's very like yeah, almost trippy kind of exactly. Like. And it's it's it works perfect. And very- he, you know, he writes like, you know, you'll be mine by taking our you will be mine by taking our time. It's like such a cool line. Like he, well, how how old was he, right? At the time? Yeah. 20, 20, 21? 20. He was 20? young. I had couldn't have been too old. Yeah, it's just great. I love that song. Number six, and I like you. I have Moby Dick at number six. Is that what yours was too? Mine was nine. Okay. So I have Moby Dick and I have to tell you, this is funny. When I went back and listened to this, because again, I haven't listened to this album in probably 25 years. And when I went back and listened, I realized when I played in a band, gosh, this is probably 20 years ago, playing in a classic rock band, we had this little instrumental vamp that we wrote, you know, that we just play for like two minutes as we came on the stage. And I just realized listening to that is, my gosh, we had stolen Moby Dick. We were playing. <laughs> the riff was pretty much, I mean, there are a few notes that are a little different, but it was pretty much just the guitar part of Moby Dick. You know, that whole little thing. And there I, you go. I said, You're stealing. oh my gosh, we had been playing Moby Dick as our intro the whole time. But then it gets into the, into the drum solo and John Bonham, I think he's phenomenal, but a drum solo on an album is just kind of weird. And, and, and I kind of prefer, <laughs> this sounds so bad to say it. I would prefer it if the drum solo wasn't in there. Of course, then it's only a, two, a minute and a half long, but I like the riff. I think it sounds great. The drumming's great. I guess the drum solo, I could, I could handle a little shorter drum solo. Um, but brevity. What, yeah, brevity. That's right. But it's good. I mean, I, I do like it. And then my number seven, I have bring it on home. Bring it on home. It's obvious, you know, they did it in two sections, right? There's the there's the part where he's playing the harp and singing through the harp, so you get that funny effect, you know. Yeah, it's pretty um, cool. Which is is kind of cool, but I like it better once it kicks in. Then you got the other part where it's the riffage, you know, the electric part, the whole band's in, and then it ends again with the uh with the little harp part. We used to play that song in a band. Did you really? I love that. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. And and now that I have it at number seven, I don't agree with that. I think that would should be before Moby Dick. So I'd probably move. I'd probably switch those around. I put that before Moby Dick. A Willie Dixon song originally performed by Sonny Boy Williamson the second. I want to go get my record, my physical copy of this record, because there's something I want to look up. And while I'm going to get that, let's take a short break. Sounds good.
Welcome back to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast and check out this bumper music produced by our own Boulder Jeff. Jeff, this sounds awesome. You like it? I'm glad. It's Thank awesome. You. Cool. It was fun. So I just wanted to grab the actual album because in the research, it had said that they had had a settlement with Willie Dixon. Mm -hmm. But as I look at the actual album, there is no mention in the songwriting credits to Willie Dixon or anyone other than members of Led Zeppelin, right? So there's a few songs where all four members are credited. Most of them are Page and Plant. But yeah, there's there's no mention of of Willie Dixon. There's no mention. So so you know the Lemon song, "Bring It On Home." Are there any others that were borrowed from? <laughs> we know those two songs were, but I just wanted to double check uh, because maybe on later versions they would credit those. I don't know. I haven't seen a later, a newer version of of those. But on this version of the album that I have, you know, there's no credit given to anyone else. Which brings me to my last point. The last song on my list is the Lemon Song. And this one sounds more traditional. I think this is, is this a Howlin' Wolf or? A... This is a Howlin' Wolf. Okay. Killing Floor. And it's, yeah. And it sounds like the guitar style is even Howlin' Wolf style. Bom, 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 you know. Yeah, that's the one he borrows is Squeeze My Lemon from Squeeze My Lemon. Travel Travel on Riverside Blues, Robert Johnson. Yep, exactly. And so there's a little, but you know, even the blues guys did that. They'd borrow from other blues guys and put sure. them in. So so Led Zeppelin is definitely not the only band who's borrowed from other people, but they get cited for that, number one, because they were so successful. And they did do it a lot. <laughs> so uh they 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 do kind of get brought into that discussion a lot you know what i like about the lemon song is that double time where it breaks down yeah, changes, when it breaks it, into the yeah double time kind of thing and then yep. a solo and then comes right back and it comes right back into the groove you know super tight i mean we haven't really it's just hard to uh, bottom is bottom we all know yeah. right maybe we yeah. it's not even it's pointless to say it's just one of the greatest rock drummers we, ever. We could do a whole show. <laughs> totally. But he shines on this whole album. Yeah. Let's just to say that. I'm trying to remember if there was one bit in one song that stands uh, out. Actually, that part in the Lemon song you're talking about is pretty cool to where they just they just come right back. Now, here's in Moby Dick. And as I was listening, I was trying to listen to tell, okay, did they actually play this live and the band all came back in? real time as he's finishing the solo or did they actually finish the drum solo and then edit in the band together at the end? And I don't know the answer to that, but if they actually recorded that live and came back in, which I have a feeling they probably did. That's awesome. That's amazing. And it seems they did that a lot with this album as we, I, as we mentioned. Yeah, I think so. And again, I said it earlier, it's easy to look at Bonham 50 years later and say, yeah, he was, that guy was really good. He was really good. But, <laughs> but, but this is new, you know, hot off the presses in 1969. To me, it's, it's mind blowing. Uh, the way he played the production, you talked about the production, the way it sounds, it's a masterpiece of an album. If you went into the studio with your rock band and and you produced this <laughs> or the sound, you know, like a, right. a similar production sound wise, you'd probably be really psyched. Oh, 
You'd be like, wow, the drums sound great. The guitars sound great. The bass, that distorted bass on oh, a few of these, so good. Really good. And so, like, you know, what else would you do? Like, what if you were going for that classic rock, heavy, a little heavy. Exactly. Production. Like, it's Marshall with probably a Les Paul, <clears throat> I think, actually now thinking about it, but I could be wrong. It's definitely, you, you see why they are considered, if not the greatest band one of the greatest bands and I was too young to witness it, but they were, they were huge in the seventies. I mean, they were huge, huge. You know, we've heard the stories of their excess tearing up hotel rooms, all of this thing, which, which what I've read is that did happen a few times, but they would play that to their advantage. They weren't, they weren't as wild and crazy as, as they make it sound, but man, their shows they were a huge live draw throughout the 70s and when when bonham died in the 80s there was speculation there was speculation they talked about cozy powell they talked about bev bevan um i can't remember but a, a few different names of drummers were thrown out that hey let, but that was not to be you know it wasn't long after his death that the band basically said we're done um, yep it would have been interesting to see what would have happened had he not died. I, I get the, I get the feeling that they probably wouldn't have gone on much longer anyways. I kind of think, I don't know. I could be wrong. It, it kind of seems like they had kind of run their course, I think, but it would have been interesting. And Jason Bonham on that celebration day, friend, he, that guy is really good. I mean, he is, he's i mean he's he inherited the gene for sure totally and i heard (laughs) a story of uh robert plant talking that they were this would have had to have been probably the last tour you know they played nebworth in like 79 maybe that last tour maybe earlier so this would have been in through the outdoor and they're doing rehearsals you know so they're warming up for the tour and he's up there singing and they're they're doing their whole thing and and Robert Plant looks out, you know, at the end of the auditorium and Bonham's out there. And then he turns around and looks back and Jason had been back there playing drums, you know, for like five minutes. And wow. Plant had never even turned around, didn't even notice, didn't even wow. notice. And I think he was 14 or something at the time. And you can go on YouTube and see footage from the early 80s. So... Jason is is a teen, probably 18, something, 19. But there's footage of him playing with the guys, you know, and, and he's solid, man. So obviously his dad was John Bonham, but but he is a, a awesome drummer in his own right. I mean, he's really good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was looking online here. I don't want to speak uh, incorrectly. Looks like Whole Lot of Love was recorded with a telly. Okay. Like you said, but then he switched over to a Les Paul and it's, it's hard to tell from this article if he used it on some of the songs okay. on Led Up 2. Interesting. But I think it was cause he was using um, uh, a Supro, that kind of amp and the right. Les Paul was too much for it. So that he said the telly was the telly. Yeah. But then you the, know. the iconic image is always with a low slung Les Paul, you know, when you think of Jimmy Page. But, yeah. So, Hey, this is a great album. I think we both agree that uh, it's it's one that 
everyone should have in their collection. And I think Led Zeppelin deserves the, uh, you know, the reputation they have. I think they are one of the most influential bands and they were a, a talented bands and all four members, right? All four members are just the top of the top in classic rock. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like, like I said, just to take it for granted a little bit until you start analyzing it and really listening. For sure. You kind of remind yourself, wow, I'm unbelievable, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, like a bunch of bands. There's a, you know, there's a handful of bands that get together and make magic that never would have happened. For sure. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jeff. And thank you for joining us for this episode of the Classic My pleasure. Podcast. Yeah. And email us classicguitarrocketmail.com if you're interested in being a sponsor or if you have comments or a recommendation for a topic of a show or anything else and we also want to thank Braun and Jarvis Family Dentistry right here in Spokane, Washington for being our sponsor and we'll see you guys next time on the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast Go get your teeth clean, you filthy animals (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast Please like, subscribe, and share. You can email us at classicguitarrock at mail.com. We'll see you for the next episode of the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast.